0: Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Hello, shameless moms. I'm happy to be here today hanging out with you. This is always my favorite place to hang out. Don't tell the others. Don't tell the other people in all the other places that I hang out that this is my favorite place to hang out. And I'm feeling even more grateful, um, about the opportunity to be here because I just came back from Chicago a few days ago from a conference called podcast movement. It was my first big podcast conference. So I've gone to a lot of fitness events, but having been in the fitness industry for 13 years. And now as I get into the podcasting world, um, I definitely want to, Pave the way as an expert in what I'm doing and make sure that I'm doing a really good job. And so uh, I went to Chicago and that was such a cool trip. It was really, really fun to be somewhere where not everyone was wearing spandex and not everyone was like trying to show off their hot bods or anything like that. It was a really amazingly diverse group of people. There was about 1500 or so people there and podcasters run the gamut in terms of uh, diversity. So it was super cool crowd. Um, Definitely a little different than The fitness crowd, which is not as diverse. There's some diversity there, but it's definitely a little different than the podcast crowd. So that was really, really fun. I I learned a lot of things. And I also, I have to say, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I have a lot of growing and learning to do for sure. But I also was really excited because there was a lot of things that were happening there where I was like, Oh, cool. I'm already doing that. And Oh yes, like this is the direction I'm already heading. And I got a lot of affirmation. So that was really nice. It was really nice to know that I was doing some things that successful podcasters do. So, cause you know, this is a new journey for me and it's nice to be validated sometimes. So that was really exciting as well. I got to um, hear some really amazing people speak. I got to hear Anna Sale from the podcast, Death, Sex and Money Speak. She was amazing. And she, she has a pod, so her podcast is Death Sex and Money. She gave a talk on how pod, how starting a podcast is like having a baby because she got on stage eight weeks after her baby was born to give this talk. So she was at this conference eight weeks postpartum and she gave this amazing talk with these pictures. and It was like pictures of her in labor and pictures after the baby was born and all making it, um, this huge analogy as to how it compared to uh, launching a podcast. It was such a cool way to present. So that was really fun. Um, we also, I also got to hear, um, Gretchen Rubin speak. So she has multiple books. I think her first book was, um, her first, well, I most, I think all of her books are on happiness, but, um, so she also has a podcast called happier that she does with her sister, Elizabeth, and that's Elizabeth Kraft is her sister's name. So it's Gretchen Rubin and Elizabeth craft. And their podcast is really great. Um, it's a really, they're both moms. So they talk about mom things. They talk about family things. They talk about happiness because that's Gretchen's total area of expertise. So great podcasts are uh, the great, um, talk listening to Gretchen speak. And then I got to talk with her and her sister afterwards. They're coming to Seattle. So Seattle folks, this is exciting. My understanding from Elizabeth, Gretchen's sister said that they are coming on October 13th and she's going to get me information about where they're going to be and everything, but I will definitely be there. And I want to like get a crew of people to go see them speak. I think, I think they're going to be recording a live podcast that day. So uh, at the, this event, so um, it'll be super cool. They're really cool ladies. I was actually. It's funny when you hear people, um, when you hear people on podcasts constantly and then you see them on stage, it's definitely like you just get a different sense of who they are. And Gretchen Rubin, she was really funny and really fun. And like I get a little bit of that in her podcast, but it definitely came across differently, um, and more strongly on stage. I really, really enjoyed that. So I'm super excited. So October 13th, mark your calendars. I will be there for sure. And I would love to see other shameless moms there. So getting into today's episode, we're going to go back two weeks ago. By the time this comes out, it'll be three weeks ago, I guess. But we're going to go back to the 4th of the July weekend when my family and I and another family were um, at a little lake getaway for the weekend. So the title of today's podcast is five ways to love your kids when you don't like them. So for me, I only have one kid. So five ways to love my kid when I don't like him. So sometimes this happens, right? Your kid who you would do anything for at any time is sometimes the person you enjoy least. Right. And Vinny and I have the cutest thing going on right now. He I'll say to him, I'll say Vinny, I say usually before he's going to bed, I'm like, Vinny, who's my favorite person? And he'll say me referring to himself. And then I'll say, who's your favorite person? And he'll point to me and say you. And it's so cute. Oh, I love it. And then we say he's like, says I love you now without me prompting him. Cause like for a long time, I'd be like, I love you. What do you say back? <laughs> like Nothing like just forcing someone to love you. Right. So so cute and so fun that he's having these conversations, like not prompted now where I'll say, I love you. And he just automatically says it back, which I just, I love. So we're having a lot of fun with conversations and he's getting to have like better emotional intelligence. I'm laughing as I say that because it's not always great, but I definitely feel like he's able to like identify feelings and talk through feelings. And so there's all these really great things happening with communication that is so fun and so funny and language development, which is, you know, huge in communication. Obviously language development has honestly been, I did not expect this, but I think it's been my favorite thing about being a mom is watching language development in a small child is the funniest thing ever. And I noticed it by the time he was two, I remember going to like his two year checkup and telling the doctor, this is insane. Like this language thing is killing me. It is so fun and so funny and it just keeps getting better. So now he has, you know, obviously he's speaking in sentences and paragraphs and asking questions and the things he says are just so funny. So it continues to be such an adventure. And I love that. That said, there are times when I do not like my kid. And when we were at this lake, little lake getaway over 4th of July weekend was a few of those times came up. So this has happened now on two different occasions where we've been out of town and Vinny just does not sleep well. Like it'll take him like over two hours to fall asleep at night. And then he wakes up super early in the morning. He has a really hard time napping. And after a day or two, that really, really catches up with him. Like he is a kid who he'll be four in September. and He still naps every single day. So he's a kid who like needs his sleep. And it's really apparent if he doesn't get it. So he can like miss like a nap and be okay. He cannot miss nap two days in a row or he can't like miss nap and then go to bed late. He just very quickly starts to fall apart. He's a highly emotional child. He's a very intense child. He is like his mother, but more in all those ways. Um, so, which is like, I love some of that. It's interesting to see myself in him. It is also incredibly challenging at times because we both have so many of the same characteristics. And so we can definitely, um, amplify each other's Emotions and exaggerate each other's emotions to some extent, and we can really get each other riled up. So I've had to learn over time, like what works and what doesn't work with him. Like timeouts with him and I don't work well; they actually really aggravate the situation in many cases. And there's just not a lot of research showing that timeouts are beneficial. And and there's actually some research showing that they're the that they're actually can be like kind you know potentially harmful. I'm not saying that timeouts are horrible. I think there's a place for them. So we use them. I try to use them sparingly. I use them mostly for when I feel like I'm losing control of a situation and I don't know what to do and I feel myself getting really frustrated and emotionally charged. I use them for the sake of separating Vinny and I so that we can have like some space from each other. And that's usually when I'm home with him by myself, because I feel like if my husband's there, we can tag team or usually like the dynamic just feels different. And I feel like I can kind of between my husband and I, I feel like we can kind of, um, distract and devise a plan or whatever. It just seems to, the the energy seems to dissipate when it's Vinny and I alone though, sometimes the situation will get really ramped up. And so sometimes I do just need like a few minutes of space to put together a plan to be like, okay, what are we doing? And then I'll go back into him and be like, let's sit down and talk. How about this? And we can like come back together where I have like let some of my anxious energy diffuse a little bit. So, okay. So here's what happened when we were gone. Vinny wasn't sleeping well. And then in addition to that, we were with this other family who have a child the same age as Vinny. They were actually born one day apart. And then they also had their little boy, um, who was, who is like one, I think he's 20. I don't, I'm trying to remember how many months he is. He turned one in February. So whatever. He's like one and a half ish. Um, so Vinny had a hard time with the one and a half year old, which is interesting because he's been around other little kids and been fine with them, but for some reason he felt like this one and a half year old was like definitely trying to get in on his toys and like take over his space. And it was very interesting to watch. And I was like defensive of the little boy. Like I was like, poor little guy. Like, he just wants to be a part of the fun. And Vinny's kind of being a jerk. And so I felt bad for the little guy. But, um, so what happened over the course of these two days, Vinny was not napping. He was not sleeping well. We were not getting a lot of sleep because he wasn't going to sleep till like 11. So I wasn't going to sleep till like 12 ish. And then he would be up between like around by, by six, he was up. And so, um, it was a little painful. And so what happened two days in a row at nap time, I was trying to put him down for nap and both days I was trying to put him down. Like he was well past when he needed a nap. It was like, you know, normally at school, he goes down for nap at like 1230 at home. It's usually closer to one thirty. And these days it was like two thirty. So he was well beyond nap time. He had been up earlier than normal. He had been up late the night before. So he was just kind of beside himself. And in one situation, so the first day I'm trying to get him ready for nap and he's I can't remember what he was freaking out about. He was totally upset about something. I don't remember what it was at all, but he was very agitated and I think he was crying and I was saying no. And I, I wasn't like, it wasn't a supercharged situation. Like I wasn't feeling emotional or anything. I was just kind of talking him down and whatever. And he had a toy car in his hand and all of a sudden out of nowhere, he smacked me in the side of my head with the toy car and it hurt like, like a mother. It hurt like, almost like that instant, like tears to your eyes kind of a thing. And he's never done that before. Like he'll hit every now and then, but it's like kind of like swatting and it doesn't really hurt. And like, I, I make a big deal about not hitting and that we don't hit and all those kinds of things. But this was like, this really hurt. And it was with a metal car. And so what's funny is my husband was actually in the room. I was putting Vinny down for a nap and my husband was, had been come in to grab something or bring something up to us or something. Vinny. Uh, so I have, to, I'm going to go back in just a second and talk about my last career, but I ended up, I was on my knees. I had a level with Vinny when this happened, when he smacked me on the head, I grabbed him, put him down to the floor and had my hands on his, he was on his side and I had my hands on his hips, one hand on my, his hips and one hand on his head, like holding him down on the floor and not like holding him, not aggressively, like slamming him to the floor, but like, I just got him down to the floor and I was holding him there. And I just held him there and he's like, was screaming at the He starts screaming and he's super mad at me. And again, I don't remember what started the whole thing. So it was just like an expansion of what he was already mad about. And now I had him pinned on the floor. So again, not an aggressive pinning down, but essentially it was like a therapeutic hold. So then from that moment, I, you know, I was like, you do not hit me with a car. I took the car away from him. So we do not ever hit people. We don't hit people when we were with other objects. And then I got him up and you, and I had taken away the car. So then he's super upset about the car being taken away. And so then he starts to lose it like physically. He's screaming. He's like physically shaking because he's so mad at me for taking the car away. So then I wrap his arms around him and I wrap him in front of me into a therapeutic hold position. So if you're at all familiar with children's therapeutic holds, this is just a position. It's essentially like the child is hugging themselves and you're hugging them and it just gets their whole body all kind of curled into this little ball and then you just hold them there. And kind of let the energy diffuse from there. And so I was just holding him there really calmly. And my husband, I think, was like, what the hell's going on? So... This takes me back. What was funny is like after all this happened, so then a few I finally got him calmed down and I got him to get take a nap and got him to fall asleep, all this stuff. So I go downstairs afterwards and my husband's downstairs with the other family and I'm like, um, I hope that didn't freak you out. Like, I didn't plan on putting our child in a therapeutic hold. So my background, I used to work in a psychiatric hospital with kids. And in the psychiatric hospital, we did do child uh, we did restraints with kids and we did therapeutic holds with kids. We actually did well, we did both, but we, we more often did restraints because therapeutic holds with our kids, they were often bigger and a single person couldn't do them because we were working with like kids who were like five to 14 years old. So for, you know, a 13 year old to do a therapeutic hold on them with one person, not super, not super safe because they, the kids were too big. So we did, um, restraints where we would, if a child was acting out. So if a child was being physically harmful to themselves or to someone else, we would physically bring them to the ground and hold them down until that they were back in control of their body. And it was a very like calm way that we did it. It was like you would get the child on the ground and then you would just very calmly. And the way we did it was you would have a staff member on each arm, a staff member on each leg, and then someone with their heads. You had like at least five people with you. Often there was more than that. It was a big deal. It didn't happen all the time, but it was a big deal. And it was very, the way we did it, there was a whole protocol around it and the person leading the whole situation, um, it was called a show of support. So the person leading the show of support would very calmly be talking to the person who was being held down saying, you know, like giving very specific instructions and talking them through the situation, trying to deescalate them. And then we would let them go like one limb at a time and say, okay, you know, um, now that you're seeming back in control, you know. Jeff is going to take his his arm off of your arm and we're going to see how that goes. And then like one coworker would take their arm off. And then I would say, okay, you know, on your other arm, Jenny, she's going to take her arm off your arm and then we'd make sure they say calm. And then, okay, now, you know, Jennifer's going to take her hands off your foot and it would be one limit of time. So this is how we manage it in the hospital set- setting. And when I was in that hospital setting, I knew like how to do these things. And you just did them very routinely. We practiced doing them, and we practiced doing them in safe, appropriate ways. We practiced doing them in therapeutic ways. We also made sure that we practiced doing things like without being, without making, letting situations get emotionally charged. So let's say you know if a kid had assaulted me, I would be pulled out of the situation, and someone else would be in charge of leading that show of support. So this actually happened once. I had a girl attack me. This was not uncommon at this hospital where the the um patients at the hospital would attack staff members and so the first time it happened to me this young girl attacked me she probably she wasn't that much smaller than me she was like a 12 or 13 year old girl and i was 24 at the time or something so she attacks me and she got, she comes at me and and grabs my hair and wouldn't let go and i didn't ever know what i would do in a situation like that because i feel like you don't know until you're there and this very much correlates with parenting. You don't know what you'll do until you're there. And so I never knew what I would do if a kid attacked me and then I got attacked and I did not try to run and I did not try to fight back. I just crumbled on the ground and let her, let, continued to let her pull my hair. And I just kind of like went into the fetal position while she was pulling my hair and other staff people saw it happening and they immediately called for a show of support. We had like a whole intercom system in the hospital. So you could just call overhead and like literally like eight to 10 people would show up within like 30 to 60 seconds. So people showed up. They got her off me. They held her down. They took me out of the situation. They de-escalated her and. contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters, and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, I swear it's like, around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, it's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Another time I got bit by a kid and it was a very similar kind of a thing. Like a kid bit me and other people came and they took over the situation, diffused the situation and whatever. And of course there was consequences for the kids when they attacked people. It wasn't like it was just cool to do it. But that's how it happened. There was was this big supportive system and it was all done in a way that was intended to keep everyone safe and to keep the energy like – very chill. It was never about like you hit someone. So we're going to pin you down and make you pay. It was never like that. So the interesting thing that happened when Vinny hit me with the car over the weekend is that he hit me with the car and like immediately I went to this very Zen place. And I do not like usually when things are escalated between Vinny and I, I do not, it's, I do not always find my Zen. I will be very honest about that. But with this situation, it was so out of nowhere and it was so much more um emotionally charged than other times when he's hit me that I just like immediately, I don't even know what happened. So I just like, I got him down to the floor and I held him there for a second. I got the car out of his hand. I put him in the therapeutic hold and I was just like, The Zenest mommy ever. And I was just like, okay, Vinny, we're going to sit here until your body can be calm and it's okay. Like you're safe right now. I'm going to just hold your arms until you can calm down. And I just went, like, I don't even know who I was. And then after the fact, I was like, oh, I was Fairfax, Sarah, because the hospital I used to work at was Fairfax, was called Fairfax. So I was like, oh, I was Fairfax, Sarah. Like, I didn't know I still had it in me. And so I had to go explain to my husband, like, so that's called a therapeutic hold. It might've looked kind of like I was giving him a hug after he hit me, but that's called a therapeutic hold. And then we kind of progressed from there. So then the next day, nap time, Very similar situation. Something's escalated again, I think, because Vinny wanted to like have Legos in the bed with him or something during nap time. And I was saying no, that he needed to go to sleep. So he kicks me in the mouth. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And so he kicks me in the mouth. And kind of the same thing, although this time I wasn't quite as zen, but I was like, okay, so we're done talking now. And you're going to lay here we're not talking about the legos anymore and we're not in this and the kicking in the mouth it was actually much more gentle than the hitting in the head with the car um it, he was definitely testing me a little bit more like it wasn't just like this angry outburst so and then i in that situation i actually ended up tagging out with my husband i was like i'm not doing this two days in a row like <laughs> i did this yesterday i stayed with him forever till i fell asleep i was like i need you to take over so Then since then, my child has come home and been much well, more well rested, and these behaviors have not shown up at all. These are like totally outlier kinds of behaviors for him. So it was really important for us to see that like this is what happens when his basic needs aren't met. When this child does not sleep, these are the kinds of things that happen, like super escalated situations. He can't manage his emotions. He can't manage himself physically. Like he is just so. He's a kid who needs his space and his sleep and he wasn't getting those things because we were his sleep was limited and his space was limited because we were with an, with another family which is fine like it's we had so much fun with them I'm so glad they joined us for the trip but it's just kind of the, the the dynamics changed and this is a result so as a result of that I did not really like my kids so much that weekend or for at least for some periods of time and I think this is really really common you know, There's certainly times at home as well when I don't like my kid. Like I said, I would do anything for this child. And if anything ever happened to him, I would die. I think about this routinely because I'm weird. I do like, please tell me if other moms think like this. I think of what I would do if something happened. And I really like, I feel like I could not go on if something happened to my child. And it is one of my biggest fears of only having one child so far. Is like, what if I end up only with one child and something happens to him? I really, I don't, I cannot imagine my life without him. As long as it took me to adjust to motherhood, I'm adjusted now. I'm in it. And like, there's no turning back. So I'm very optimistic that I will continue to be a mother to this lovely child for his entire life and my entire life. And it'll be amazing and magical. But I do every once in a while think like, oh my God, what would I do if something happened? I I, I don't know how I would go on. So my mind does go there every now and then, even on those days when I'm like, you know what, kid, I love you, but I do not like you. So I want to give, and I'm hesitant to give parenting advice because I'm definitely not a parenting expert and I screw up every single day, but I have worked with kids. It is part of my background and it is, you know, for a long time, it was a big, it was my whole career passion. And so I wanted to talk about how I've kind of melded some tips from working with kids and working with adults in fitness And working in psychology and sociology over the years. Um, so my background, you know, I have a background educationally in elementary education, sociology, psychology and fitness. And so all those things combined that that's a lot. (laughs) I'm, you know, I'm kind of an expert in a lot of different areas and I'm not, you know, PhD level in any of those areas, but I definitely know what I'm talking about to some extent in all of those areas. So. With that said, I am going to give some parenting advice today, but not because I think I'm a perfect parent and not because I think I'm a parenting expert. So with that said, I do want to give you five ways to love your kid when you don't like them. And these are things that I put together and information that I put together that I think is just really helpful information that you can keep with you. Like take notes, write this down and pin it up on your refrigerator because especially those of you, I was thinking about this and doing research on this. And I was thinking about stay at home moms and thinking about the times, you know, before I had Vinny, now he's in school four full days a week. So I don't have super long periods of time with him like I used to. But when I had longer periods of time with him, this stuff was really, really hard for me. Like there were days when I was like crying waiting for my husband to come home because I was so overwhelmed and so exhausted. And especially before he could speak and communicate well, I just didn't know what to do. Like this child would just scream. And I would not have a clue what he was screaming about. And before you have strong language skills, like communication was so hard. And I called my husband on at least one occasion. There was one time when I called him, I remember, and I was like, you have to come home right now. Like I was really, I was like, I'm going to hurt this child. You have to come home right now. And he only worked a couple miles away and he came home right away. But there's times when you are just like, I'm tapped out. I'm done. I'm totally done. And I know that we know, you know, the research shows that timeouts aren't really that effective, but yet that tends to be our go-to because we need that disconnect. So I think there's a place, a time and a place for that disconnect. Like I already talked about, like sometimes you do need that disconnect just to create some space to come up with a plan. And I think that's appropriate, but we also know that like spanking is really not effective. And I actually, there's research, there's a lot of research on spanking, but I did want to just, because I think that spanking can be something that we go to quickly because spanking is one of those things that it's, it's an immediate, it's a very reactive, um, it's a very reactive behavior in a highly emotionally charged situation. Like we don't spank kids when we're like feeling super zen, right? You're not like, Oh, I'm feeling really chill. Let's talk about your feelings. Oh, I'm just going to spank you. Like we only spank when something's really emotionally charged. And so I think it's important that before we go. To that behavior, we have some knowledge on it. And so I did want to, this is not judgment about spanking and I don't need to intend to create a spanking debate. I just think it's important that we know what spanking does. And having worked with kids the way I did for seven years in a psychiatric hospital, I, I know enough to know that like there's, there's no benefits of spanking and the potential negative outcomes are pretty strong. So the most um, recent information and I'll link to this article. That has some of the most recent research on spanking. But recently there was a big article that was published. It was actually a study of, of, I think it was 75 studies. And this, the study of this, of all of this research was that we can definitely see that there are not positive outcomes for spanking and that there are generally very negative outcomes. And so across the board, across these 75 studies, they measured many different things and they measured many different, um, outcomes and variables and all sorts of things. But they did find a strong correlation between spanking and a detrimental child outcome. So the, the detrimental child outcomes that they found across the board, low moral internalization, aggression, antisocial behavior, externalizing behavior problems, internalizing behavior problems, mental health problems, negative parent-child relationships, impaired cognitive ability, low self-esteem and the risk of physical abuse from parents. Those are significant. Like, If I knew that I could prevent myself from doing a behavior that would create any of those outcomes, I definitely would. So I think it's important just to put that information out there. I feel like it's kind of my moral obligation to let you know that those are the things that are associated with spanking. So you're Aggression being one that comes up repeatedly. Aggression in kids is strongly correlated with spanking. So if you are aggressive toward your child, you're much more likely to have an aggressive child. Also, antisocial behavior, for sure. Mental health problems, for sure. Impaired cognitive ability. So what happens when you emotionally shut down because you have been hit, then you're like essentially stunting your growth emotionally. So what we try to do at our house, again, not saying I'm perfect at all. We try to have a lot of conversations about feelings. I'm not saying it goes really well. I'm not saying my kid can articulate his feelings at all. He'll be four in September. So like we have a ways to go with with emotional intelligence. But I do think that it's... That that's the direction that we're heading in. Like we try to talk about feelings. So I want to get into the five ways that you can love your kid, even when you don't like them. And the first one is speak their language. So know where they're at developmentally. I am going to post a list of books. These are books that I have by my bedside, <laughs> all highly recommended books. They're books. I'm not like, I do not do a ton of parent reading because I just, I don't have the time. And when I do sit down to read it at nine o'clock at night, I can literally get through like two paragraphs before I fall asleep. But I will often flip to different, pa- different sections of these books books because there's they are all resources that have come from highly regarded sources and people and professionals so i'm going to post a list of of the books that i have next to my bed it's definitely not a comprehensive list on parenting or on parenting books but it is a it's a really good starting place and i have i think there's probably five of them four or five that um are, are really good and also that have like just where you can flip to like one chapter and be like here's where i'm at right now give me help where you don't have to read 300 pages beginning to end the, another way to speak their language is to use emotion cards and talk about feelings. And so I'm in, in episode 34, we talked with Dr. Jennifer Freed about emotions and talking with kids about emotions and identifying feelings. And so that's something that Vinny and I have really been working on is talking about feelings and talking about, um, and putting feelings with situations. And so that, and he's definitely getting better at doing that. And so starting to have emotional conversations can be really, really helpful. And we oftentimes We'll talk about, we will have emotional conversations. So oftentimes when we do have a, when we do have a timeout situation, um, I will usually before a timeout, I will say like, do you want space or do you want to sit and talk about this? And so, and I, and he's a kid who like oftentimes, if he's in the right place, he'll want to sit on my lap and like kind of snuggle while we talk about something. And so I'll say to him, like your choices right now are you can go to your room and have space or we can sit and we can talk about this and then kind of let him choose. And I'm not saying he's always like, oh yes, I want to talk about my feelings because sometimes he just keeps screaming and he ends up in his room. And then I'll say like, I'm going to sit outside. I sit by his door and then when he's ready to talk, we talk. And it's usually like a big long thing, but he knows that like, I'm always there. And we always end with like, let's sit and talk about it and let we talk it through. And so it always ends with, a feeling of connectedness rather than ending with isolation. And I think that that is very important because that's the downfall of timeouts: is that a child learns that every time they express a feeling or every time they, a situation gets to a certain point, they will be isolated. And that's, there's not a beneficial outcome to that. So I try to always end things with connection.
1: Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Bree, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it
0: again, not always perfect, but that's what we always aim for. And then I always invite cuddles and in conversation. So like I said, I always am saying like, do you want to talk about it? Do you want to sit with me? Do you want to sit on this? We have these this little table and chair set that kills my knees to sit in these chairs to get up and down into these tiny little chairs. But I sit in the tiny little chairs and I'm like, do you want to sit in the chair with me? And so we can sit here and talk. Or we sit in the rocking chair in his room and we'll talk. So always inviting cuddles and conversations. Number two was learn kids cur- your kid's currency. Some kids have really easy currency. You can like bribe them with like, gummy uh, with uh, goldfish crackers and other kids like have nothing, but you have to learn your kid's currency. So what toys can you motivate them with? What, st- what like sticker programs can you motivate them with? What food items can you motivate them with? What activities can you motivate them with? There's all sorts of different ways that you can motivate your child. And that doesn't mean that you're bribing them into certain behaviors, but you can set them up to be successful. So one of the best ways to get away from situations where you're having to give consequences all the time is to set your kid up to be successful. And so always lead With opportunities for them to make a good choice. So we do this with, we have a sticker chart. I'll post a picture of it with this episode. So we have a sticker chart, and with a sticker chart, we have Vinny, I never put more than two or three behaviors on there. So Vinny gets stickers for two or three behaviors. Now that said, there's like 40 behaviors that I would like him to change. Probably it's like number one being his use of the word poopy butt and how it is the most commonly used word in his language right now. But that's not like a big target behavior because that's not something that that's not our highest priority item. So right now on his sticker chart, he gets stickers for if he gets, if he poops in the morning, if he poops in the potty instead of his diaper he gets a sticker for if he stays in his room till his light turns green in the morning. So he has a little clock that he's... And he's not supposed to come out till his light turns green. So he stays in his room quietly playing, which he has gone from doing like 50% of the time to doing... Right now, he's doing it like 100% of the time. He's totally killing it. And then he gets a sticker for going to school. We call it going to school without having a fit. But sometimes he gets... um he has huge meltdowns over going to school, which if school was a new thing, I would not be trying to squash this behavior because it's an emotional transition. School's not a new thing for him though. Like we're coming up on two years. So I try to minimize some of the... Anxious habits around school, which we definitely got into some anxious habits a few months ago. So now it's if he goes to school without having a fit, and he can still be sad. He's allowed to be sad about going to school. He's allowed to talk about it. He's allowed to, you know, he has all sorts of different things that he says. I'm feeling kind of worried because of blah blah blah. Like that's all fine. It's just that he can't have like a huge meltdown where he has to be pried off of me, uh, because he knows he's going to a safe place. He's been going there for almost two years, and so, so that's actually gotten way way better in the last two months. Like that, he's hitting almost 100 of the time. So when he gets, when he fills up his sticker chart, then he gets to pick out a Lego toy. So we go to Fred Meyer or Top 10 Toys, which are the two closest toy stores next to us. And he spends great amounts of time looking up and down the aisle for the Lego thing that he gets to have. And it can't cost more than a certain amount of money. So he tells me the other day, he goes, Mom, when I'm in the orange room, which is the room he'll be in when he turns four for school. He's like, when I'm in the orange room and I'm four, I'll be able to get the expensive Legos. So I don't know why he thinks that when he turns four, he gets more expensive Legos for his sticker charts. But so Legos are totally 100% his currency. Like he doesn't care about food. He doesn't really care about anything right now except for Legos. So he gets stickers for those behaviors. And then when he fills up his whole sticker chart, he gets to go pick out a Lego thing. I also got little Lego minifigures on Amazon. I'll post a link here for those. And uh, with the minifigures, I use those for like big behaviors at home. So like when the first few times he was pooping, um, in the potty in the morning. It was like, if you can get up in the morning and poop in the potty instead of your pull up, then you get one of these little mini Lego guys. And he was like, so freaking into that. And so I've used those for some bigger items. Like we don't do that every day anymore because, um, because I'm not buying Lego minifigures every single day, but I got this little pack and I'll put a link to the pack that I got because it was a big hit and they weren't very expensive. So the next thing, number three is to take space. And with taking space, you want to think about the different ways you can do that as you need it. And so sometimes you might be in a situation like over the weekend when I was able to tag team with my husband and say like, okay, like I did this yesterday. It's your turn. Game on. Like mama needs a break. Um, Taking t- t- tag teaming with your partner is huge. If you're staying home with your kids all day, you won't maybe have that opportunity. And so, where can you build in some routine time off that can be helpful for you? Could you get like a mother's helper or a babysitter a couple days a week so that you know, like, even if today is a super long day, like tomorrow you have two hours of help or something. It doesn't have to be like hiring a nanny. It doesn't have to be like this huge financial thing. It could be just a mother's helper situation where you're even still at home, but someone else is playing with your child for a little bit. Or it could be trading with another mom. Could you trade where like, okay, Wednesday mornings, You take the kids Thursday mornings. I take the kids and then you somewhere where you have some predictable time off for yourself so that you do get that space because we all know absence makes the heart grow fonder. Like my kid is never so cute as when I come home from being gone for two days and I can't wait to see his smiling face. But if I've been around him for four days straight on a trip and he's been not sleeping the whole time, like I I really I don't need to spend any more time with him. Like we've had more than enough togetherness. So absence makes the heart grow fonder. Give yourself some space from your kids. It's really, really helpful for maintaining a healthy connection with them. And then have backup care as, as needed. So find a, you know, there's multiple services here in Seattle where we can get last minute child care. There's different apps for it. There's one here that we've been using. We've used a couple times for last minute babysitters called Poppy, which has been really great. So there's different different scenarios like have some sort of backup. Do you have a family member or a friend or a neighbor that you can call if you just need like 30 minutes or 15 minutes or anything? Can you say like, can you just like, who can who, can? someone come read to my kid for 15 minutes? Or can you put them, you know, maybe your backup care is a screen. Maybe you're putting your kid in front of an iPad so that you can go take a shower or that you can have some time to yourself. That's okay. Number four, taking care of you. This is so critical. You cannot take good care of your kids if you're not taking good care of yourself. So number one is getting adequate sleep. Number two is getting exercise, whether that is in the form of like, intense exercise, going running, lifting weights, or it might be restorative exercise. It might be finding your Zen, going for a walk and listening to music or podcasts, but it could also be doing yoga, (laughs) doing yoga or Pilates or something that is like more calm and mellow, but still very restorative. Um, Also nutrition eat before you're starving, please. Like I am the crankiest mommy at 1230. If I have not had lunch, I'm like, I can't keep it together. And I'm just like counting down the minutes till nap time. And then I realize, oh, it's because I'm starving and I haven't had lunch. I used to try to wait till Vinny was at napping to have lunch. And then I was like, no, because I am like bitchy mom from 12 to one. I'm not going to do that to either of us. And so now I eat with him, which is not as pleasurable as eating by myself, but it keeps me way more sane. Same thing with dinner. Eat before you're starving. This works for kids too. Like feed your kids before they're starving because everyone is on very thin ice emotionally when you're hungry. So eat before you're starving and then know, be aware of what you're putting in your mouth. Make sure that what you're putting in your mouth actually fuels you. If you're just eating crackers and leftover macaroni and cheese, you're not putting anything that actually fuels you in your body. So make sure you're getting your protein and your produce, getting actual nutrients and vitamins and protein and the building blocks that like make your cells live and breathe and do the things that they need to do for you to stay vital. Because if you're just eating kid crap all the time, you're not staying vital. You're not on top of your game. So get away from those processed foods, eat real food, I could go on and on about the exercise and nutrition stuff here and the sleep stuff. So I'm just going to leave it at that and keep it fairly brief for those. But they're really, really critical. Exercise can be brief. It only needs to be like 10 minutes for it to have some sort of effect. So it doesn't need to be like an hour at the gym. It can be 10 minutes in your basement. It can be a 10-minute walk. So those kinds of things. Um, I would put meditation in there as well. So meditation or journaling, if either of those things are impactful to you, doing those things. And sometimes those things are going to have to happen early in the morning, sometimes to take the best care of yourself, you have to get up before your kids. I'm just going to say it. So there's times where, you know, it might mean for you to be the best mom you can be. You get up at five 30 before your kids get up so that you can have 20 to 30 minutes by yourself. Now you might hate me for saying that, but try it for a week and see what kind of impact it makes on your life. I promise you, if you're someone who does not take any time for yourself right now, getting up 30 minutes before your kids will change your world. Try it and let me know. And then number five, keep learning continue to read books. Like I said, I'm going to post a bunch of book recommendations. So reading books and articles on, on parenting and knowing where your kid is developmentally, and then attending talks so that you can be learning from experts. You know, in Seattle here, there's a lot of, um, parenting experts and through the university of Washington, we have some, we have the Gottman I think it's the, it's the Gottman, John Gottman for sure. But I think it's the Gottman Institute that has classes and there's all sorts of different parenting opportunities or for parenting classes. And so just constantly learning and surrounding yourself with other parents who are going through a similar thing. That's like the greatest thing about attending events like that is that you can connect with other parents who are in a similar situation to you. And I know that like when my son was really, really little and my friends who, you know, when, when I had a newborn and my friends had three-year-olds and they'd just be like, oh, well, it gets better. I'm like, no, like I needed someone who was in it with me. I needed to connect with people who had newborns, not people who had three-year-olds. And I did that. I found a parent group who was like a lifesaver. And I was so lucky to have that parent group. I'm still good friends with all of the women in that group. And that was an essential connection for me and essential relationships to be with parents who had kids who were the exact same age going through the exact same developmental milestones, because then I knew what was normal and what wasn't. And I knew what I needed to be freaking out about and what I didn't need to be freaking out about, which is very comforting. Like it really helped me to know that I think six out of the seven moms in this group hated nursing. And I was like, yes, like it's not just me. Thank you. So super helpful information, right? To know that you have some support and some camaraderie and some in some solidarity with other women and other moms and other parents. So important. If you can't do that live in person, there's tons of Facebook groups. So I've talked about Facebook groups and I've talked about like getting wrapped up in the comments and the conversations and the gossip and like, be mindful of all that. But there are some great groups and I'm a part of some that are specific to Seattle parents that are really helpful. It's helpful to be able to say like, you know, when my son was three and I was like, we're getting rid of the binky, what's the best way to do it? And I got tons of suggestions. And then we ended up doing this whole binky fairy thing. It was like magic. And I was so paranoid about it and it worked great. Same thing with potty training. Like I posted a couple of questions about potty training, got lots of great advice in conjunction with other talking to other parents in my parent group, talking with my doctor about it. And then I felt like I had all these tools. So continuing to learn from other parents and professionals in your community just makes all the difference. And then lastly, with the learning aspect and with continuing to learn is to take time to reflect on what's working and what's not working. So for us, like we learned these little sticker charts work really well for Vinny. He's super into them and he continues to be into them. So we continue to do them. We've kind of evolved them over time. Like we used to, he used to have to get like 16 stickers or something and now he has to get 20 or 25 or something. We made them bigger because we were like, we're not buying Lego sets every week. So we've we've definitely evolved the system a little bit. We've changed some of the behaviors that target behaviors are we're looking we're looking for. And then I've like I've said I've really cut back on timeouts with him because they don't work for me. They don't work for him and I. It doesn't help anything. It doesn't change his behavior, it doesn't improve his behavior. So those are your five ways to love your kid even when you don't like them. Speak their language, learn their currency, take space, take care of you, and keep learning. So in wrapping up, I just want to identify that we are all doing the best that we can, but you can't do it without your toolbox. So make sure you have your toolbox full with the things that I just shared with you. Ask for help and support. Know that you will screw up. That's okay. We all screw up every day. Don't worry. You're not alone. Stay open to learning and open to evolving and be committed to doing your best. And lastly, keep the wine close by. So with that, if this episode was helpful to you, please do share it. You can share from any of our social media links. We're on Instagram and Facebook at the Shameless Mom Academy, so you can always share from there. Our episodes are posted. You can also go to um, the, uh, go to shamelessmom.com and you will see all of our episodes there, and you can get links to the episodes and share them that way. And you can also go over to shamelessmom.com forward slash review. And when you're there, you can leave a five-star review if this episode was helpful to you. You can also subscribe there. So if this is your first time listening, know that we do release episodes every Monday and Wednesday. And if you hit the little subscribe button when you're over at shamelessmom.com forward slash review, you will then get our episodes as soon as they're released. And then you'll get to listen to them right away. So you're like, it's like you're in the inner circle. So, with that, have a fantastic day. Thank you for spending time with me. I'm excited to spend time with you again in a few days. And until next time, make sure no matter what you do today, do it shamelessly.
1: Hey there. I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilled Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired.